Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town and glad you're able to be here. This is our, our second week in a series that we're calling The Gospel Changes Everything. And and uh, we have a little excerpt here that we've been talking about when we say the gospel changes everything. What do we, what do we mean by that exactly? And so this is what uh, kind of the, the statement that we're saying about this is, uh, why have so many efforts to change our world proven ineffective or even destructive? What does it mean to be a faithful presence of Christ in this world? This series will explore how the church can play a role in affecting positive change. The gospel, rather than politics, worldly power or wealth or social media or reclusivism, changes everything, right? And so what, what we looked at last week, and I'll, I'll kind of recap a little bit where we were last week and where we are this week and where we'll be, um, is that the good news of Jesus, right? His gospel, that's what we mean by gospel, that who Jesus is and what he taught and how he taught us to live as Christians, as believers, when rightly applied, which we'll look at today, it always seeks the welfare of other people. It always seeks the welfare of other people, always. Uh, the scriptures teach, when the scriptures teach over and over and what they teach over and over continually is for justice and justice for all people. So I want to give a quick word, just briefly, uh, on Brianna Taylor. And uh, if you don't know the story and what happened with Brianna, but uh, she was uh, killed on March 13th in Louisville, Kentucky by police officers who uh, entered a, an apartment. And there's a lot of things that we could talk about that went wrong in this whole situation scenario. And I'm not going to get into the facts. I don't think I need to get into the facts. What I think what I do need to say is that a life was snuffed out that shouldn't have been. Period. Period. And we should care about that. And uh, I want to read from an author, Dr. Uh, Jarvis Williams. He wrote a book uh, called For God So Loved the World, A Blueprint for Kingdom Diversity, just this year. And uh, he has a chapter that he, there's an excerpt kind of on Christianity Today, and this is a website this comes from, but Dr. Jarvis says this, God created humans in his image. All humans, from Genesis 3.15 to Matthew's Gospel 28, 16 through 20 to Revelation 5.9, the Bible speaks clearly about God's vision to restore everything. Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden and his vision to redeem ethnically diverse individuals from different tongues, tribes, peoples, and nations. That's the story of the Bible. The entire story from, from beginning to end is about all people and God claiming all people to himself. And then, so looking at last week of looking at this creation mandate, that's our job now as a church is to spread the good news to all people everywhere to seek the welfare of this city and all people. Then Dr. Jarvis, he kind of summarizes his chapter this way. He says, God created black people in his image. God redeems black lives in Christ. Black lives matter to God because the Bible teaches they matter, period. I'm not political. I, I mean, you guys know me. If anything, I'm, I'm as anti-political, not anti, apolitical, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't even know the lingo for it. I think the gospel changes everything. And yet I can sit up here and stand up here. I'm not sitting, but I can stand up here and unapologetically say Black Lives Matter without any caveats. Because when we look at this, the gospel changes everything. It impacts, it impacts everything we do and everything we say. So we've been commanded and created from the origin to seek the welfare of others. And that was what we looked at last week, this creation mandate. Looked at Genesis 1.28, where God says, God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, and said, be fruitful 
and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves in the ground. And we looked at that work that human beings are created to work before sin and the fall entered the world. That work is a good thing. Uh, it's not until sin enters the world that it becomes labor and toilsome. And so he, I have this, uh, again, another quote here from William Edgar. But he kind of uses this language, right, that this word for subduing is not supposed to be violent, right, but, but gentle. That it should be gentle in how we subdue. And he uses these kind of three things that, that we should worship in our subduing, that we should then also spread that and all over all the earth, and then we should cultivate that land. But then that changes. After the fall, things happen. And so now the, the world, the church's mission now is to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and teach everything that Jesus has commanded us to and cultivate in that manner in the hearts of men and women. And so when we say that the gospel changes everything, we're talking about this idea of, of the door, right? This gospel proclamation that I, I believe the good news of Jesus. It's this door. And, but then it enters onto a path this way of life, this gospel living that then goes to our commitment to this creation mandate. And that then leads us to love our neighbor, all neighbors, and then ultimately leads to human flourishing. So this week, the sermon is entitled Wisdom and Foolishness. And we could easily just call that godly wisdom and worldly foolishness. And that's what we're gonna be looking at today. And when I say foolishness, it's kind of interesting because when I use that phrase, maybe worldly foolishness, that doesn't mean that anyone who's not a Christian is a fool in the sense of they're not intelligent or they can't think creatively. That's obviously not the case. I wouldn't be able to speak with these microphones, this technology and all this stuff if it wasn't for great minds. So that's not what I mean by foolishness. Foolishness simply, but if we give like just a Webster's definition, is lacking good sense or judgment. So I wanna look specifically at scriptures today. It's kind of a lot, a lot of passages I'm gonna be working through. But I want to kind of look at the Old Testament, kind of before Christ is on the scene physically. I want to look at the life of Christ. And then I want to look at after Christ. What is the, the command that we've been given uh, from the apostles to be wise on this earth? I want to start with Proverbs 1.7. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago in an elder meeting, we walked through Proverbs 1. And uh, just some of these things stuck out to me, especially as we're going to be looking at this idea of foolishness and wisdom. And so Proverbs 1 starts off. This is the wisdom of Solomon. And Solomon was just known for his wisdom. And he says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this is again, an Old Testament view of, of fear. It means a mixed feeling of dread and reverence. But in Hebrews, when we get to Hebrews chapter 12, it actually talks about that we don't need to necessarily fear God in that way if we are in Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, 18 says, you have not come to a mountain that can, that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, to gloom and storm. That's what it was in the Old Testament, that Moses is up on the mountain and it's just terrifying. God is on the mountain. And it says that if even you, if an animal touches this mountain, you're gonna be struck dead, right? That's, that's fear and dread and reverence. But because of the gospel in Christ, as you have now come to God, the judge of all the spirits of the righteous made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling of his blood that speaks a better word than Abel. We'll talk about this new covenant in a little bit. So going back to that Proverbs 1, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is facts, info. That's that, That's, it's a, some kind of skill that I've acquired. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of these in this information, fact, skill, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what is wisdom? When we, when we ask the question, what is wisdom? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of someone that's wise or, or a wise decision or whatever, maybe we think age. Uh, I'm starting to get some grays in my funky, weird beard that's out of control, but I'm starting to get some age, right? Which is good. Uh, it makes me a little wiser, look a little wiser, right? Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, there's, there's a little bit of that, right? We could say, yeah, maybe I think of Solomon, right? Just, hey, we use the wisest person in the Bible. So yeah, maybe I'm thinking of Solomon. Maybe I'm thinking of the more educated that I am of acquiring that information. There was a, a definition though that I learned when I was in junior high. I took a, again, I grew up in a, in a interesting situation, but I was taught, I had a, a Proverbs Bible class in junior high. And uh, there was this definition that said that, that wisdom is simply the right application of knowledge. All right, so, so wisdom is taking that facts, right? That skill, that information that I've had, and I apply that in a right way. For example, uh, I'm a big fan of Survivor shows. You know what I mean? So like Survivor, uh, what was the other one? Uh, man, Man versus Wild. I didn't like Bear Grylls because the camera crew thing, it just made it all fake. I didn't like it. He did things that if you were in the wild, you would never do. doesn't make any sense. Hey, I'm going to jump off this cliff. Don't try this. It's like, it's a Survivor show. Why would you do that? doesn't make any sense. Um, what was it? Survivor Man? That was a great one. Uh, but then recently there's been one that's called Alone. Um, that's on Netflix. That's on everything. But anyways, here's the point. You, they have these skills, these incredible skills. Here's how to make a fire. If I, if I fall through a frozen lake, here's how to fight hypothermia, right? And so by watching these shows, I feel like I've gained a little bit of knowledge, except this last Tuesday, I couldn't build a fire for my small group. So, but here's the thing, here's the point. You get this information, right? You acquire it, but if I don't ever apply it, it's wasted. It's actually foolishness. If I don't ever actually apply it, it's not wise. So if I know that if I fall through a river, and I don't actually, and I get, start to get hypothermia and I don't take care of my core and I don't get a fire going and, and dry off my clothes, all that stuff, right? And I don't apply that, it's, it's foolishness. And so wisdom is the right application of knowledge. So we can take this knowledge from scripture and we can learn information from the Bible and we can say, okay, when the Bible teaches in the sanctity of life, what my theologian friends will call from the womb to tomb, Right, So we believe in the sanctity of life as children all the way until their death. That all life matters to God. And I don't, if I don't apply that knowledge, what I've gained and gleaned from scripture, I'm a fool and I act like a fool. Because unfortunately the church has acted and played the part of a fool for far too long. So what happens then, Jesus shows up and we have this wonderful wisdom from Solomon and all these things that Solomon's doing. And then Jesus actually says about himself, someone greater than Solomon is here. I am the wisdom of God, which is gonna be expressed in Corinthians. But before we get there, I wanna read a story from John, John chapter six, 34 through 59. So it's kind of, it's kind of long, but I wanna look at what Jesus says, some of the words that he says and the wisdom that he implies and how people view him. They view him as crazy. Here's what he says in John chapter six, a little, little context. I didn't want to read the whole thing because it's a lot because there's 33 verses before this. But he goes out and it's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So he goes out and feeds all these people and then he leaves. And the people follow after him again and they say, Jesus, give us more bread. 
And he goes, oh, you just want bread because you're hungry. You're not actually coming here to see me, to hear, hear me. And he's saying, I, I'm, I'm the bread of life, right? I can give eternal bread. And they say this then, sir, always give us this bread. He says, remember that manna, right? The manna in the wilderness in Exodus that they, they had no food as the, as the Israelites are going through the, the, the desert and the wilderness. And God shows up and says, I'm gonna give you manna every single day. And I'm, I'm gonna provide for your need and Jesus then says, I am that manna. And so they say, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on that last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of life who has come down from heaven. And this is, this is what they say, is this not Jesus? Is this not the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven, right? Jesus, you're crazy, right? You're, you're, you're the guy from, was it Hook, right? Was it, what was the guy from Hook? Remember the, the, the movie Hook where he's looking for his marbles, right? Is some uncle that's looking for his marbles. That's what's happening here. You've lost him. And he says, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written of the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father learned this uh, from him who comes to me. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the father and very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate of the man in the wilderness and they died, but here, is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. You know, this great miracle that you wanted, this great miracle that happened in the wilderness and you want this bread continually. He's saying they died. They all died eventually, not anymore. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven and whoever eats this bread will live forever. But then he says this, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Again, this is just, you're getting even crazier here, Jesus. All right, he's gonna say, this is this Passover meal that you've been eating, this, this sacrificial lamb, I'm telling you, it's no longer gonna be this lamb that's gonna be sacrificed. I'm gonna be sacrificed. I'm the new covenant. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, which we're gonna do here. All right, we're gonna have communion. We're gonna, we're gonna drink juice that represents the blood of Christ and the, and the wafer that represents the, the body of Christ. If you don't do this, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day for my flesh is real food and my body is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. All right, again, Jesus, you've lost it. What are you talking about? Eat your flesh. That's gonna be, no pun intended, fleshed out later on as Jesus is actually having the Passover meal and saying, this is the, 
This represents my body. This represents my blood that was broken for you. I'm gonna enter into a new covenant. Something greater is here. I no longer have to rely on physical sustenance from the creator. I now can rely on spiritual life, eternal life. So then looking at what the apostle Paul then says in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31, he says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness. Right, this gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, it lacks sense. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish, made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, but God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to, be, to save those who believe. This nonsensical teaching of Jesus saying, you gotta believe in me, trust in me, I'm gonna forgive you of your sins. That sounds like nonsense. We're gonna preach that so that people can be saved when they believe. This phrase that's interesting here, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And what's amazing within our current culture, right, isn't it like every two years or even less than that, the amount of information that humans have is doubled, right? And this has been going on really since, I don't know, technology came into play. That just anything you want, any question you have, right? The majority of us are millennials and some Gen Zs out here. It's kind of annoying, you know, you get an argument with someone and it's like, well, we could debate this all day or just Google it, you know, just, hey, Google. No, don't, hey, Google. That's not what I meant. It's always listening, always listening. That's what we do, right? We just, we just look it up and we find the answer. And yet, with all the vast knowledge and resources we have out there, science cannot disprove that there is a God. Archaeology, all these different things that we dig into and we try to study and people actually set out trying to disprove something from the Bible or from scriptures and they end up saying, wow, I guess this is actually accurate. That being scientific or whatever it may be. But one of my favorite ones is actually a story of archaeology and it's of this, this group of people called the Amalekites. And up until the 1950s or 60s, the, the, the world that looked and read the scriptures as just this is some folklore fairy tale, there is this group of people called the Amalekites. They're like the arch rivals of the Hebrews, of the Israelites. And he's saying, and, and, and nobody, it was like, who are the Amalekites? There's not one record of their existence. And, and it was a laughing stock within the archeological community until they finally discover it. Some, some random person not trying to, you know, disprove the scriptures or isn't trying to look for the Amalekites. But they come across a culture that was the Amalekites and a king of Amalek. Right, and they're going, wow, who knew? I guess the Bible was right on this. And actually just as, as last year, it got even more specific. In 1 Samuel 30, verse one, it says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. And they actually found this specific city of Ziklag last year that has Hebrew antiquities in it, as well as these Amalekites antiquities. Because that was even a thing in the 40s. They were like, oh, okay, well, there's this, 
culture of the Amalekites, but we don't see anything that the Hebrews were in conflict with, conflict with them. And then boom, here we go. And every, it just had, this happens over and over. And so you have very intelligent people going to disprove something or trying to prove something. And then it comes back and I would imagine that would be frustrating. Just as Jesus and as the scriptures say it would be. Moving on, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, or excuse me, verse 22, it says, Jews demand a sign and Greeks look for wisdom. Just this idea of Jews demand the sign the same way. Jesus, prove to me you're the Messiah. Give us this bread continually. And he says, you just gotta believe. I am the bread of life. And Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, a stumbling, stumbling block to the Jews because we say, we're reading the same scriptures, but you're not seeing Jesus as the true Messiah. You're sitting there waiting for an actual physical Messiah to bring back the nation of Israel to be this dominant world ruler. And I'm telling you, that's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the entire Bible teaches. It's a stumbling block. I read on like a coffee mug thing the other day. It was like, um, the only difference between a stumbling block and a stepping stone is how you use it. Nice. See what you did there. <laughs> what was I talking about? Foolishness. That's what we're talking about. This doesn't make any sense, right? It's foolishness to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, to all nations. This just, this is nonsensical talk that you're saying about this guy, Jesus. That he died for my sins. What do you mean sins? I don't owe anybody anything. You just invented that God. What are you talking? Wait, he's actually going to come back to this earth? He's going to come back? This guy who was a maybe, maybe not a historical figure from a couple thousand years ago, and you're saying he's actually still alive and he's gonna come back and fix everything? Yeah, yeah, I do. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't, but I believe it. But then it says this, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That Jesus Christ is the right application of that knowledge of God which I'll flesh out here in a second. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And then he says this, brothers and sisters, I was talking with Paul, one of our elders in the way here. This is one of those verses, this, this next chunk, like I wish we all had this in our houses. Like some people have, no offense if you do, like kind of Jeremiah 29, 11 of like, uh, you know, I've made plans for you to prosper you and all these different things. Like, hey, that's great. That's good. Good, good sign to have in your house, that's fine. But this is a good reminder here that if we all had this somewhere in our walls in our house, I think it would just notch us down a little bit. It says, brothers and sisters, think, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Right, Paul is saying, Brian, you're a fool. <laughs> you're kind of an idiot. You're kind of a dummy. You got degrees from universities that nobody's ever heard of before. And if you had of, you'd be a little blushed to even say it. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. You're a fool. You're nonsensical. And you just keep preaching this message of good news and the gospel, but yet that gospel changes everything. It fixes things. It says, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not 
to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with my birthright. It's got nothing to do with my, my, my sex and male or female or, or black or white or anything in between. It's got nothing to do with this. It's all because of what Christ has done. It is because of him. It is because of Jesus that you are in Jesus. It's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God. So this right application of knowledge, right? This knowledge is the facts, the information that I can say, okay, God, this is, this is the information. These are the facts that God created me, that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of what God commands me to achieve in my life and I will never be able to reach that. But God sent his only son, the savior, Jesus. And if I believe in him, I will have life everlasting. Those are the facts. Anyone can read the Bible and go, that's the accumulation of knowledge. This is what the Bible teaches. But it's not until we apply that knowledge. It's not until we believe and we actually look at what this is, this wisdom from God, that what that is our righteousness, our righteousness and justice that we don't deserve. He is our holiness that makes us pure and clean before a holy God and our redemption. He puts us now in right standing. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if I hold on to my gospel knowledge, I'm a fool. That if this information that we glean, especially over these next 10 weeks, in this series of looking at the gospel changes everything. And we just accumulate knowledge or facts or theology or better understanding of the storyline of the Bible. I'm a fool. What over and over and over is taught about, we just got through 1 Peter and 2 Peter and we can look at James and Jude and he, look at the whole Bible. I've got to do something with that. I've got to apply it. I've got to live it. I've got to do it. I've got to act on it. And that's the only way the gospel changes everything. Because if I just take that good news and keep it to myself, I'm a fool. And I lack the wisdom of God. So we take this, again, going back to that gospel proclamation that the wisdom of God is Jesus. And that sounds foolish, but we proclaim that so that those can be called from darkness into marvelous light, from death to life. And we go through that gospel door onto the gospel path and we act on that, that applied knowledge and we live the gospel and then commitment to that creation mandate to see the world flourish. And therefore that makes us love our neighbor and that makes everybody, all humans flourish in, our, in, in, in who we know in Christ. So in conclusion, just a gospel application. I have a personal question for you. Will you join me in seeking out the wisdom of God revealed in and through Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit take action steps to show others the wisdom of God, to introduce them to Jesus. And not just introduce them to Jesus and hand them something about, hey, Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the hope of the world, but why? And do we live it? Again, our podcast, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not doing this for clicks or likes. I really, there's, there's a lot of information on there. And I'm so thankful for Josh and for Paul, our elders, to be able to help walk us through this. But we're doing, and our, our podcast is called Sunday Rewind. And we're starting kind of a new mini series of, I don't know what you'd call it, but, um, uh, on racial solidarity. And so last week was the first episode of just kind of introduction. What does racial solidarity even mean? And why is that the goal? 
Uh, this week, though, we've been going through Jamar Tisby. He wrote a book, The Compromise of Change, and he uses this acronym called ARC. And so we look focus this week. It'll be available tonight late. But tomorrow, Color what? Of Color of compromise? What did I say? Compromise of change. Compromise of change. <laughs> Color of compromise. Compromise of change. What does that even mean? Color, color of compromise. Obviously, I don't have any of this written down. Um, but in his book, though, Jamar uses this acronym of ARC. And we've, we've talked about this, right? If you've been coming to, to Lower Town for a while, you've heard this before. But so last night, we focused on that A uh, for, not last night. It was a couple, well, it was whatever. Anyways, we focused on the A, on the awareness. And we want to continually grow in our awareness, right? Um, and then that, that will then move to uh, relationships, that will move to commitment. And so we'll have more concrete things, but I really encourage you all to listen to that. It's been really helpful for me, as I know it will be for you. And I think that as we look at these gospel applications, that's just, again, listen, racial solidarity is, is one tiny little thing in the spectrum of our lives, of all of us. There's so much, but this is one, especially culturally, that we as a church need to speak out on and get right and apply the gospel to that. So... That'll be available, though, tomorrow morning uh, on Sunday Rewind. Let's close in prayer. We'll sing a couple more songs, but then we're going to enter into a time of communion. We're going to look at this flesh and blood of Jesus. So you uh, bow your heads, pray with me as we dig into this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time here this morning as we look at godly wisdom and what that is. And as we can look from the scriptures that godly wisdom is Jesus and we love Jesus and we wanna proclaim Jesus and we wanna live Jesus. So would you give us the power and the courage to do so, to say things that when we need to say things, to stand up for those who are vulnerable and to seek the justice and the welfare of all people and of the city. So would you help us as we do that? Would you be now, would you God be glorified as we sing, as we take these elements and would you know that we love you and that we wanna move forward uh, seeking who you are and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.